It's the feast day of Mary Magdalene in the tradition of my ancestors. And Jonathan and I are here in Palm Springs taking a hike in about 110 degree weather. Yes, we're staying well hydrated. And we wanted to come to this place not only to give honor to the indigenous people of this land, but in particular to feel the feeling of what it feels like to be on land that is guarded and stewarded instead of owned. The indigenous people, the Kahawila tribe, especially right here where we are, of Agua Caliente, um, have always had this land. They did not ever give it up, so they've had a continuous occupation, probably not the right term, continuous habitat in this space um, for tens of thousands of years. And so we're just paying attention to what we're noticing. There's lots of people hiking. There's an incredible waterfall. There's the rock formations. It's like it's un it's impossible to photograph because you just can't get the magnitude. It's, it's too big. Yeah, it's just so incredible, the feeling. We're sitting under uh, jacaranda trees right now that are... What are they doing there? Uh, it's called gutation, G-U-T-T. Gut, like G-U-T, like your gut, gutation. So we're being sprinkled with water from the tree. Yeah, it, it pre precipitates any extra water that it doesn't need. And mm. basically kind of sweats it out. Offering it to us. Yeah. We've, we've seen hawk and raven and dove. I found a white feather, uh, which I left on a rock which is always my symbol for Carmen. Um, in, my, in my fiction book, Carmen's name is White Feather. What else did we see? Oh, we almost missed it because it went by in a blur. It's a, a bighorn sheep. Unbelievable. It, it wasn't like a little one either. It was, like, it was like five or 600 pounder, like fully grown, giant horns, like, you know, like, just, it was gigantic, and I heard him coming down the side of the mountain, and I turned, and at first all I could see was his horns. Horns, yeah. Because he was leaping, you know, because mm. the terrain is so rocky and whatever, he's, mm. he's bouncing, basically. And as, uh, so, <laughs> I, I saw him coming down the hill, and we were uh, in the creek basin at the time, and I knew he was gonna cross the creek, and Shiloh was looking at me, and it was behind her. So I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, Shiloh, look. And she was kind of looking at me like, what? I'm like, like no, look now. <laughs> and she turned and we, we caught a great glimpse of him as he leapt across the creek and shot up the other side of the hill. And oh he was gone in a second. And I just thought to myself, this ground is really hard to walk on. And he, he was moving at Ooh, 20, man. 30 miles an hour. He was mm. booking. But, you know, this is his spot. And mm. I felt like it was a blessing from the, from the canyon, though, mm -hmm. because it's sort of like... We're witnessing it, mm -hmm. and it's witnessing us in a way. It's very, it's super cool. We're moving super slow um, as we move up so that we can notice what's here. Most of the uh, pictographs are on trails that you can't go on because, of course, people vandalize and stuff like that. So there's just a little bit that you can see um, of red, ro red ochre art, and there's this incredible 
creek, I guess, coming from the waterfall that is so lush and green and verdant and we um, gave, gave ourselves a water blessing and there was um, also dragonflies and butterflies and a whole area with tons and tons of polywogs and of course we've seen lizards and there's these birds with this red head and red body. Um, you had a theory on why they were red. Oh, well, uh, so there's, it, it's kind of like our, our beautiful red, th red thread theory, right? The red thread runs through everything. And so here it's red ochre, it's red ochre clay that's, that's uh, a part of the, the background here. I mean, this is vault. This is volcanic. These these mm -hmm. uh, mountains and alluvial fans and canyons that we're sitting in were caused by volcanoes and water and, and wind over the millennia. So there's a lot of red ochre here. So the 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 birds eat the bugs, and the bugs are composed of the same thing that the earth is, <laughs> right? Which is which is mo a lot of red ochre, and in fact the iron that's present is what keeps a lot of these plants along the creek bed alive. Mm -hmm. You notice how a lot of them have red and orange flowers? Yeah. And so um, it's, it's, a, it's like the, the water that they swim in, right? <laughs> it's like the, it's everywhere. The red ochre is everywhere. And so the cochineal and the little bugs that are in the soil that the birds eat mm -hmm. ultimately express themselves as colors within the animal that consumes them. Right. And of course, red is the color of our blood, and it's the color of the iron from exploding stars, which we're so fond of talking about in our community. So it's amazing to think of these rock formations as remnants of the Big Bang, a.k.a. cosmic orgasm. I think that um, there's different things that we're noticing because we're going really slow. Not just because we're hot, but because you see things that are you might not see. Well, the slower you go, the better. I don't look just like a lizard. The only way to survive this temperature is to get under a rock and just <laughs> stop. And so what I really noticed in a different way, so of course I'm a big fan of, of the stories of red ochre because it's one of the ways, it's the paint of our ancestors. It's the paint that Earth provided. And it's just so incredible to see these streaks of red everywhere. And we were really able to see these huge swaths where the rock looks you know black and gray and then where it's been chipped off by sun and rain and it shows the edge of red ochre on the inside and so it's it was such a it's such a clear example that inside of all of these grayish rocks is that red is that original star Just, uh, you know, I, I have lived in the desert-ish before, you know, I, li I lived in Las Vegas, but um, I didn't live anywhere near, like, the Strip or the casinos or, you know, I lived at the, at, at that time, at that time, what was the very edge of town, and it was right, it was right smack dab with, oh, maybe a 10 minute drive to this place called Red Rock Canyon and Calico Hills. And it looks very similar to this. And um, the rocks are literally just giant orange chunks of ochre. 
and um, they're at least this big. Mm, and, so what made you think of that? Yeah, and then also uh, the Calico Hills, which are like this really stripy basalt. Mm -hmm. So they literally look like a giant calico cat laying mm -hmm. outside uh, with all the different colors in it. It's really amazing. And what I learned there is what I see here is that if you're willing to sit still and be quiet long enough, there's so much life mm -hmm. where it appears that there's lifelessness mm -hmm. on the surface. And it's it, just out of your view and out of your, your ability to hear it. At the visitor center, because I love talking to the staff, if you show some genuine interest where they're like, blah, 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 the waterfall. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm after the red ochre. <laughs> and they're like, oh, okay. And so we get into a conversation and they just said that because this land was seen as not valuable, that's why they still have it. Meanwhile, it's rich with everything. And so at least this tribe was able to get and maintain their nation's I'm quite, status. I'm quite yeah, I'm quite surprised because this is substantial water. You're surprised that they didn't that, regard that, this as valuable? No, no that, they, that they didn't take it from them yeah. because it's just the water source alone. Yeah, just thinking about the mentality of the uh, settlers and how that whole thing works and is so the opposite of the kind of feeling I want to have in my life and always look, oh, yeah. looking at my own um, settler mentality as Crystal Charlotte Easton calls it, settler mentality. Um, and just asking, you know, how do we be appropriate to this context and just be able to sit somewhere that isn't colonized. And it's a beautiful thing because they don't say owned, right? They're guardians. And speaking of guardians, um, this is the place where the first shaman, so the creator story of this area is named Makut. And, uh, they, the creator made the first shaman named Takits, and this is called Takits Canyon. And basically, um, he is the one who created the other shamans. So he was the original shaman who made the other shamans. Right, and, I guess uh, so. Bestowed the proto shaman. The proto shaman bestowed the other shamans with um, to do good works, and that story just spread throughout the land. Uh, later, there are other stories about Takits and why this is called Takits Canyon, but I'm not going to tell those stories today. I'm going to stick with the idea of the shaman who makes shamans and who is then... Takits is the guardian, the said guardian of the shamans mm -hmm. and of this place. Mm -hmm. So it's a really curious story to consider. This is also the place of uh, the chief of the fox tribe, uh, designated this area and there's a wonderful stone which I'll share with you called the fox's dress and the legend is that this rock um, is representative of or not representative is the story of a fox girl who could turn herself into a stone at her will and it's perched above the water there are so many more stories too many to tell I don't think this will be my last visit here amongst the jacaranda and the wild sage and the purple and orange flowers and the most gorgeous lizards and birds. 
and wanted to just come in and honor um, this place in California and the way that the area is in collaboration because they had to be but whether that's the casinos or the music or the food or the art it's woven and it's much less woven in many places in Northern California which has been one of my draws to look at this area is to feel that feeling and so I come back to Mary Magdalene whose primary color and her association is with red and the red is the sign of power in the feminine also one of the interesting things and this was one of those fascinating moments with the visitor center people they demonstrated the the stand that the shaman images and the pictographs take which of course the stand with your arms raised and your hands out Mm -hmm. and this is the same symbol of some of the earliest um christian and pre-christian art of the feminine especially in priscilla's catacomb and also inside of the hagia sophia Uh, this is the the position of the feminine and the shaman and is usually in red whether that's red ochre or painted red but it is that early sign and um it that image of the feminine standing with her arms up and of the shaman with her arms up in that way is um, something that has been communicated throughout tens of thousands of years. There's a concept that the um, French philosopher Michel Foucault calls biopower and how biopower changes over many years. And so in the early Christian, we have this image of the biopower of the Magdalene and the Sophia with her arms raised in a sign of blessing or a sign of prayer or a sign of speaking. And then we look at that the shamanic art that preceded those images is in the same position. And so we see a story, but it's a story that we don't get told often in a clear way. Those of us who care do all kinds of research to discern a greater meaning behind the lineage of archaeomythology that has shaped us as a people. And I'll just close with this idea that in the Christian mythological framework, there is the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, and the disciples are asking Mary Magdalene to uh, tell them about her relationship with Yeshua and what he may have spoken to her. Now, I'm imagining this scene because they thought he was coming back right away in a different way. So there's this anticipation of this uprising that was uh, supposed to be very physical in terms of uh, competing with the colonists of the day and taking back the rightful place of the people. It was an occupation. And so they're waiting and he doesn't come back in the way that they think and in the time that they think and so I can imagine them sitting around having the conversation well what do you think he meant by this and what do you think he meant by this and what does this mean and what is it what does all this mean and them them going yeah you know he told Mary stuff that he didn't tell us maybe we could just ask her and so they do lo and behold Peter and the boys ask Mary Magdalene to tell them something that she received and she says something really outrageous I'm not quoting word for word but basically the idea is I've perceived 
him in my spirit in this very day, which is a concept that they thought was very foreign. And he, she proceeds to tell them um, what the message was. And it's about soul and about spirit. And then there are four missing pages. And every, um, every remnant that was buried in different places by the Coptics um, is missing these same exact four pages. Now, they were supposed to destroy it. They didn't do that, but they did take out those four pages. So whatever, at least we think they did. I, I would just about bet you those four pages are somewhere. Well, yeah, because maybe they were removed before they were given to the Coptics to destroy. But anyway, I always say, you know, what are the four pages that are so sizzling that it's the female seems, shaman with our like arms the, the raised? Codex for the whole thing. It yeah. Seems like the, it's like it's like if you had those four pages and you read them, you go, oh, oh, right, right. But they don't want there's they, they, they don't have, want us to go. They oh. have a reason to yeah. hide it. That's right. And so I, I say to my students on a regular basis, what are the four pages of your missing book? And mm. there's a way that the relationship with the Magdalene, like I probably have gotten 25 emails about the Magdalene in this past year, which um, years and years ago used to mostly be me and a handful of my friends mailing about it. But there's this idea that we're all becoming the Magdalene. And in a way, I feel like there's these missing four pages that we're somehow reading in our own soul. Whatever she says in those pages is is the sizzle, is the arms raised up decree, is the speaking out of which the spirit has spoken, has been removed. And at the end, something uh, not so astonishing happens, which has been perpetuated unto this day in so many different ways. And uh, basically, Peter does not believe her, that what she perceived was what was said and she received it through gnosis and this is a moment of mary magdalene becoming very hurt and i can imagine her feeling in that moment and she says basically do you think i'm lying can you imagine that moment for all of them and i feel like that's the moment where mary magdalene's version of yeshua's story split off peter and the others went on to make their version of christianity of which my ancestry is a lineage and then Mary Magdalene um, and the Magdalene's went off to create whatever they created in a much smaller and different way. There are legends of her all around the world of what ended up happening um, from that point on. But suffice to say, she did not travel and colonize the world with the message. Who knows if we'll ever receive the message of what she spoke, but maybe we are right now those of us who are having the eyes to see and the ears to hear and slow down enough to say hello to a lizard and a polywog. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing, I send you greetings on the feast day of the Magdalene and with great respect and an attitude of reparation with all indigenous peoples and specifically in this moment, give me respect to the land of the people of Agua Caliente and to Keats Canyon and the Santa Rosa Mountains. Well, here's to Keats, right? Because one of the things I continually think about, about like, so people, modern peoples, sapiens, have occupied this canyon 
for some, like ten or ten or thir ten to thirteen thousand years, something like that. From an evidence perspective, but yeah, well, could be longer. Yeah. Who knows? Well, let's just let's just pick a number ten. All right. Well, how many generations are in ten thousand years? So, if it, if everyone lived a hundred years, well, that'd be easy math. But these people did not have it easy. These people probably had a life expectancy from maybe 40, 30 to 50, which is about what was usual back then, and especially in an environment where you really have to slug it out in order to make your, your way. So you took, like, how many generations, 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 and, and the opportunity for Tikits to create a people, a band, a tribe, right? That of shamans. Of not only shamans, but the Tikits is the shaman of shamans made by Makut. No, no, yeah. no. I know that. Okay. But all I'm saying is, is like not only the shamans, but the peoples mm -hmm. generally mm -hmm. at large that had the through the shamans had the capacity to listen well enough and to work with what's here well enough and themselves in relationship to what's here to persist for ten thousand or more years mm -hmm. with no interaction or intervention except for maybe some other bands that are near here or whatever so the it's like you could say you come from scottish royalty like i do or you could say you come from all that that those, those are drop in a bucket those are a drop in the bucket compared to the endurance and the perseverance that these and the knowledge and the, the sanctity that these people have mm -hmm. And they, there's astonishing. around 500 uh, of the tribe remaining. Yeah, they're and they're quite prosperous now. So, um, just grateful to engage in the feeling, which I guess is what so much of what I'm about is how things feel and how to be in a respectful relationship with it and a, a tribute to the first shaman mm -hmm. story, even mm -hmm. though it kind of goes a goes a, a little bit awry after that but the good news is that the, the people um, take the authority in this case mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. the amount of the amount of land as part of this reservation and the adjacent lands which I think they've purchased and are now in the trust of the reservation because that, well, that's what it says on the maps right um, they're outside the reservation but they're under their control is like 100,000 square miles. It's just incredible. And I wonder what kind of beauty and hidden water and canyons and history and art mm. are just all through here and have been for tens of thousands of years. Mm. Just, it's just so cool to walk lightly upon it hear their echoes mm -hmm. thank you for tuning in much love to each of you